to determine if ally was a title that you were going to add to your bio or if it was going to be a way of life you walk in allyship you are acting as an ally welcome to beyond allyship a podcast that helps humans shift their understanding of what it means to be an effective ally and show up in allyship for marginalized communities Let's get it popping. Welcome to the Beyond Allyship podcast. I am your host, Dr. J Pop, and I am so lucky to have with me George C., the illustrious marriage and family therapist. Thank you for coming on, George. It is a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So I want to tell you all a little bit about George. First, yes, this is my first cousin, the one that came after me, the one that taught me how to fight, how to have arguments, <laughs> how to disagree with you people. You need help with that. <laughs> you were pretty good. You were pretty good. We didn't always get it right. Yeah. But here we are today, all of these years later. And I think he's a pretty cool person. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I agree. I am a pretty good person. So are you. <laughs> So let me tell you a little bit about George C. Um, He first started working with adolescents and children and their families as a case manager, then became a behavioral coach in the school system and really learned through that work that it was never too late for someone to make changes in their life if they are ready and willing to do the work. And his time in the classroom with families and children really inspired him to become the therapist that he is today. Now, currently, the majority of George's work entails working with individuals in recovery from addiction, as well as developing interpersonal skills between individuals, couples, and families. He's received training in mediation and cultural competency. George is also a speaker and facilitator in building allyship, and he has come to help us talk about being a good person, how to face yourself when you are trying to determine what biases you hold, how you move through the world, and also how to have tough conversations. I believe that's training that we all would have loved growing up. So, Mm -hmm. George, let's start with this. What is bringing you joy right now? Uh, copious amount of drugs. No, I kid, I kid. Because if you're a recovery therapist, that's a that's a bad recovery therapist joke. Uh, no, I. You know, it might be cliche, but um, spending time with family and friends, and I have just some shifts that's going on professionally. So, trying to do things differently, and and mm. just make some personal improvements, and then. I've got an excitement around the idea of, of trying to change some things. So that that has been bringing me some joy recently. Hmm, you don't often hear people say excitement and change. Oh, no. It's bringing me joy because it's not bringing me as much dread as it has before. Mm, so there's some growth in there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just came off of doing a group before this. And um, one of the things I pointed out with, with my group was that some things that, that we deal with Once we go through certain processes of trying to address it and process it, process the processing, you end up learning that the factors don't change, just my perspective or your perspective on it changes. And that will make 
the entire difference in the world with how your body responds to it. Um, so the idea of something changing ha has been something that's been a source of, of joy and excitement for me recently. That's amazing. That's awesome. What are you reading? Atomic Habits. Oh. Yeah. How do you like that? So uh, my nutritionist met with me and see, these are one of these things that like, I didn't, I never thought I would enjoy putting things into my fitness pal. Now, look at me. Logging in that I had a <laughs> uh, Waffle House waffle this morning. Like, I was like, no shame. 350 <laughs> calories right there. Um, but uh, she encouraged me to read this book. And it's one of those bestseller books. But I have enjoyed it. I've been integrating that into a lot of my therapy sessions. Mm. Um so yeah, I I've been encouraging a lot of people to go ahead and grab it, and and start reading. Awesome. I'll just say so that, that I've read some books about habits, and I was like, this is gonna be some bull. And <laughs> a lot of a lot of it, what especially starting out, is talking about the identity that we carry, and mm. how we are not what we say we are. We are what we do over and over and over again, mm. and. One of the things that was really helpful was this notion that, well, who do you want to be? Well, then be that person. Like, it doesn't mm. have to be, like, people come, they say, let us let me discover who I am. Bump that. Who do you want to be? I really like that approach. Yeah. Because, I mean, of course, I don't do that work, but I can imagine people can get lost in that search of who they are. Well, it's hard. Because if you, if you spend a lot of time trying to discover discover who you are, that's not really what you want. What you want is to like who you discover. And mm. maybe you're a piece of crap right now, like in practice. Mm -hmm. But if you start to put in practice things that would make you not feel like a piece of crap or do things mm -hmm. that piece of craps do, then what difference does it make what you are because this is what you're being? Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's the same thing when people uncover themselves they're like this is what brings me joy and i think they people want to know these things and if they don't know they're like i need to discover myself but i'm starting to take a backwards approach to say okay where would you like to end up and then mm -hmm. how can we get there between so yeah the, and this is all last couple of weeks coming straight from atomic habits oh this is a lot of learning but it's interesting because i feel like this segues perfectly mm -hmm. into our discussion. One, part of trying to do allyship work or walk in allyship does require you to uncover what you have believed mm -hmm. because those things are what motivated your actions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. However, I think the reason people get so stuck in that phase is when they actually have to move in allyship, they don't want to make a mistake. That's the common theme that I hear when people are really getting started to try to figure out who they are, what they believe, and the impact that they want to have. They always say, I just was afraid that I was going to offend someone. I was afraid that I was going to make a mistake. So my question for you is, why is it so difficult for us to make mistakes? Because we all want to be God. I mean, I, I, I'm saying that in a cheeky way. Mm -hmm. But whatever someone's concept is of of God or what a God is or goddesses, 
Uh, mm-hmm. But whatever that concept is, I often tell clients uh, who who are struggling with certain things, I was like, what does it feel like to be God? To be responsible for everything, to be the creator and all these other things. And they look at me with this strange look. And I'm like, yeah, because everything you're telling yourself right now about what it means to be you means that you have to be perfect. And mm. that is why mistakes are hard because we want to be perfect and we want to be flawless for whatever reason, which is weird because mistakes are the most plentiful substance in the universe. If we could eat off of mistakes, then we would not be worried about all these other problems because it is so plentiful. Yet mm-hmm. we struggle with it because we don't like it. And I mean, there's a bunch of reasons why, um, this is an interesting question for me because for a while, yeah, I never wanted to make a mistake until I realized mistakes are part of what it means to live. You know, you get one of those quotes that are, that are memes, that are quotes that become reals. And it's like, do you ever live a life that was free of regret? Would you ever have said you've really lived a life and it's like some sort of like vista and like dramatic music is playing in the background that's corny but the truth is it's real like think like any any every single person who we might look in society and say was great they made mistakes and if because risks were part of it if they hadn't taken risks we wouldn't be in certain situations um so mistakes are part of the process i think we have a very difficult time accepting that process though Mm. Do you also think, because in Building Allyship, you've talked about the emotions surrounding the actions that you take. Mm-hmm. Is it also that what what people feel yeah. in those moments? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we were talking about, I did a group earlier. Uh, so it is a TED Talk on the life-giving magic of not giving. Mm-hmm. Yes. And she has a spreadsheet in that book. And we use a spreadsheet and it's like how to calm down. And hmm. the interesting thing is that if you look at the spreadsheet, you'll follow the steps and, it, and you're saying, do you know why you're mad? Yes. Okay. You go here, you go there, you get to a point and it basically asks, can you accept this? Hmm. And the option is if it's yes, then they say, go down, create your emotional puppies and be free. But if not, you have to go back through another process of Mm. just giving yourself some time till you can kind of accept that. And when you can start to accept certain things like negative emotions or negative, because it's all contextual, but, you know, non-preferred emotions for the individual, um, and you can accept that this will be a part of life, then when it comes to you, is not so jarring and is not such a visceral reaction to escape from. It becomes, mm-hmm. oh, like if you're in the jungle and you get bit by a mosquito, you go, ow. Mm-hmm. But if you're somewhere else where there's not supposed to be a mosquito and you look up like, and you're like, what is a mosquito doing here? You know, <laughs> like if you're in a lab from a science fiction movie and they were using mosquitoes to turn people into zombies, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. You're saying it's not supposed to be here. So that's mm-hmm. not something that you can expect or even want to have a part of. But in other parts of life, when we start to accept certain things, 
as being a part of life and and accept that the negatives or the not preferred sadness also puts these other things in context, such as happiness, such as joy. But I mean, I've thought about this. If all I experienced was joy, then joy would become normal and there would be no joy to joy. It would just be hmm. baseline. Um, right. I've come across people who've been through some crazy stuff, like war-torn countries. They have seen some stuff. They come to America and you're looking at them. They're like, why are they so happy about this crappy food that someone's feeding? They're like, because <laughs> I've known hunger. Mm. And now because I've known hunger, I know what it means to be satisfied and full. But in order for them to have this appreciation for things that we take for granted, they had to experience something else. And if we can start to accept certain things, like I'm going to have a negative emotion, I'm going to mess up, then we're also free to say, I'm also going to experience a positive emotion. I'm also going to experience success. But we have to accept both parts. We can't just dissect it out and say, only give me the joy. Mm. That's a very interesting because in the concept of allyship, it's considering someone else's lived experience mm. and wanting to be a part of having a good impact on someone's lived experience. Mm. And I think what you just talked about, the fact that in order to really feel the highs and the happies, it's in the context of the lows. How do you interact with someone like that? And you talked about someone from a war-torn country. Of course, their needs are going to be different, mm -hmm. but also their experiences are very different. And I think part of what I've seen is difficulty connecting with people with different lived experiences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because people are afraid of messing up. So if you take that off the table, what is the next thing? Like, take take the fear away of messing up. All right. If you took that away, what do you think the next emotion or thought or feeling that comes with after this is something that I don't know? What what comes up for someone next? Uh, curiosity. I, boom. Curiosity. Curiosity gets you through a lot of things. Like as a therapist, if I, I walk into a first session, I don't know anything about the people. I'm curious about what they're going to show me. I'm curious about mm. what they're going to tell me about. And when people have conversations with people from a perspective of curiosity, not expectation, not anticipation, but just saying, I don't know someone who knows what you appear to know. I don't know someone who looks like you. I am curious what you can teach me, what you can show me. People, people respond to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I mean, dating gurus and stuff like that when they're saying oh do you want to get through the date how do you want to come off whatever you want to be mysterious you know <laughs> you, you ask questions that allows the other person to talk and when people start to feel heard and understood if they're willing to enter into that process with you it it even lowers the 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 possibility of making these major mistakes the mm -hmm. major mistakes come in when we speak too much and now we got our foot in our mouth. And then we're like, how do right. get it out? And are they person that I'm getting it out and all this other stuff? I think people want to avoid awkward situations. You accept awkward mm -hmm. situations are part of it. I say awkward things. I don't like I don't like crowds. I don't like mingling. 
I like to know the people who I know who I'm around, but you got to mm-hmm. And then you get in the midst of it and then you realize I'm not mingling more. I'm having a conversation because I asked a question mm-hmm. and that allows me to have a different type of interaction. I, I would rather someone talk to me if I'm going through something with curiosity than this sense of, I really want to connect with you. Because I could be a piece of crap. I could be someone who, 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 even if my situation was different, you could get to mm-hmm. him and say, I don't want to know him. Mm-hmm. Then, what, then what are we stuck with? We're stuck with this weird interaction, uh, having these conversations that you don't really care about because you said, okay, demographically, I wanted to help him. But from a personal level, I don't want to talk to this person <laughs> again. And that's, that's okay. What if you attribute how they are to maybe their lived experience, though? What if you end up asking questions and, yes, they may come off as, as you called it, a piece of crap. But the more questions you ask, you realize, man, like it's their lived experience that has led us to be the person oh, yeah. that's in front of us today. Yeah, absolutely. I am a, I am a both and. Like, okay. um, so they, we talk about genetics and they're like, oh, I am this way because I was basically destined to be this way. But genetics mm-hmm. is potential. Environment is activation in a lot of contexts. So, yeah, there are some people whose lived experiences have led them to be a certain way. And if you want to work with that and want to be around that, that means you just have to do a different type of work. It's probably longer. It's probably more patience. It's probably mm-hmm. a lot of self-reflection and asking yourself why you're doing this and all that stuff. And, you know, what are their needs? And like that, that's its whole thing. But I think at, at some point, someone might ask different questions and you got to be okay with what you're going to come out with about what you tell yourself on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. This isn't to forgive yourself or assuage guilt for things that you should feel a certain way. Um, and when I say should, let me also back that up some because our shoulds and shouldn'ts are based on our moral compass and our moral compass is based on whatever rules we've ascribed to our life. So Mm -hmm. your rule is it is always important for whatever reason to put others first. Then that means that you don't have to like them to put them first. You Mm -hmm. have to feel good about it to put them first because you're following your moral code. Mm-hmm. Your and to be honest, you're doing it for yourself. And if we can even embrace the duality of goodness, mm. some things we do good purely for goodness, but some things we do good because it is self-serving, even in the most smallest sense. And if you can reconcile with both, yes, I did a good thing. And it also benefited me in a, in a specific way and be okay with that, mm-hmm. you're much more likely to be able to deal with the other emotions that come with these and to right. wrestle with the duality and allow two things to be true. I love that. I really love that. And then I've never heard it in that sense of duality of goodness. So what are some questions someone can ask themselves if they do find themselves having deep anxiety around making mistakes because I would assume, like I said, this, this is your, this is your wheelhouse, but how I was treated when I made mistakes 
or how I was, how the reactions when I made mistakes can also, of course, impact my comfortability around making mistakes in the future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what are some like questions if someone says, I feel this, Mm -hmm. this is the feelings I have. I don't know how to get down to the root of why this is so crippling. I want to know, can you see what my shirt says? Stop giving meaning to every single feeling. <laughs> That's perfect. Okay. It, I mean, the thing is, is that we have to become more detached towards things just in general. Like if, okay. if we are, it becomes, there's these things that I realize that I've heard over life and then you start to apply and like, it feels different. So mm-hmm. process oriented over objective oriented, where if you say it's important for me to start behaviors in a process that allows me to be in a certain position, then when you don't get the objectives that you want mm-hmm. or when you want them, but you believe in the process, you're much more likely to be consistent with it and to be with this thing over the long term. So and we're in allyship. So something that I talked about often was sitting in classes and, you know, being the only black male in a, in a room. And we talk about race relations. And it seemed like as soon as we talked about cultural diversity and race relations, like the room got like quiet and it got reverent almost. And then as soon as the question comes up, the black students get deference towards answering first. In any other situation, we ain't giving deference to, to nobody else. <laughs> so then this becomes this feeling of like, well, why isn't anyone saying anything? And and that question came up. It was like, well, I'm kind of afraid of looking like a racist. I'm kind of mm. afraid of looking a certain way. And I was like, man, I wonder what's worse to to be looked as a racist for not saying something or for saying something that could be racist, but not seeing the undertone and undergirding of that, wrestling with that, and then no longer having that thought. Mm-hmm. And if the fear of looking a certain way becomes the most important thing, then mm. the anxiety will be there. It's going to be uh, this thing called locus of control. And an external locus of control means I'm putting focus and energy on things that I can't control. You cannot control how you are seen. Mm. You cannot control and seen as in how other people will process what they see, what they hear, what they will feel, because you have no control of it. You can't say, mm-hmm. you know, I'm put on this headband and George better like it. You can say mm-hmm. I put on this headband and because I know George and he likes this that. He might like it and then I can be right, but there's no way to control if I will like it. But if you say I put it on and I like it and if I like it, I portray confidence and I portray uh, conviction and belief in it. And then George looks at that. He sees I'm confident. And then he attributes that to the headband. He says, hey, I like your headband. That becomes like a totally different thing where you got to where you wanted by not caring about how I would actually perceive it mm-hmm. by doing what you felt was the right thing for you. Right. So becoming uh, outcomes oriented really will lead you towards this thing where, yeah, it makes perfect sense 
if you want to not be seen a certain way. Mm -hmm. The question is, what's more important, not being that way or not being seen that way? Got it. So it's back to who do you want to be Mm -hmm. versus who you've been. Yep. Yep. Or yeah, where where are you going? Where are you trying to go? Where like mm-hmm. in the end, if you can handle the process and you accept that there's going to be bumps in the way, because that's how we learn. Mm-hmm. We learn more. I mean, people say you learn. I learn more from my losses than my wins, and I get it because the more L's you take, the more you you're like, I got a pretty map down on what not to do if I ever get <laughs> on to what to do. Yeah. And you also learn who you are, mm-hmm. which is which I feel like is usually what they're trying to say mm-hmm. is I, I learned that I could handle this loss. I could take this L, mm-hmm. um, which comes back to that being able to accept those negative emotions. Yeah. And and just because I feel it doesn't mean feelings come and go like <laughs> like that is like you become excited for something and then you get it. And you're like, huh. I, I felt that if I got to this level in my career, I felt if I made this amount of money, I felt if I had this car, I felt mm-hmm. if I dated this person, I felt all these things that I would also feel this other emotion. Mm. Eventually you realize, well, yeah, when I was younger, I liked this type of car and then things change. And now I'm stuck with the consequences of this previous purchase. I don't even like mm-hmm. that car anymore. I like this car. And if you say, okay, I I made a decision based on what I felt right then. And I, and I accept that I will feel different. And it's a transient thing. You can mm-hmm. be angry at one moment. And then after time, your anger will dissipate. It doesn't mean that you still don't deal with what's going on. You just understand that how you feel and think about something will change. And if you can accept that, then you'll say, okay, give it some time. Yes. I love that. So this is out of pure curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do come from the majority culture, if you are not of the marginalized populations, mm-hmm. in the U.S. of A., that would be white people. Yeah. Everything that you have likely seen, and this is me, this is very general, like, so mm-hmm. y'all mm-hmm. Don't, don't, don't crucify me, but <laughs> if, if everywhere you've been, you're accepted. If you haven't been made to confront your racial identity mm-hmm. and what comes with it, do you believe, from the mental health perspective, that kind of lowers the threshold of resilience on being able to maybe jump into those situations where you don't know whether whether you're doing things right? You mm-hmm. might be seen as a bad person. You might be seen as a racist person. Or does it just mean, hey, I fit everywhere. I I, I, everywhere I go, I'm comfortable. Mm-hmm. So you almost are more likely to jump into it. Or could it be both and? Well, I, I agree it could be both and. I think that one thing, I, what, what you were saying, when you were asking that question, I was thinking about people who are strengths-oriented. So they say mm-hmm. it's more important for me to rest on my strengths and go hard that direction. Then discomfort is probably an indication that they're not leaning on a strength versus Mm -hmm. someone who is weakness oriented or areas of improvement oriented that says, I'm only as strong as my weakest area. And then that's what I focus on for improvement. Mm 
Well, then being uncomfortable is a trigger that says, okay, this is something I need to work on. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've, I've noticed the evolution just from a personal standpoint of the comfort of people, not people in building allyship, but in the world saying, okay, fine, I'll be a racist. I'll be a racist mm -hmm. because if that means that I have to give up anything, such as agreeing to something I don't feel like is important or whatever, fine, just call me whatever you want because I will be that. Well, that's someone who is very comfortable with their comfort and probably um, would have to have some other life experiences that says, okay, maybe I need to do some other things that's going to make me uncomfortable. I mean, the, the funny thing is, I, I, we live in, you know, one of the whitest cities in America. And <laughs> I did not realize that most of my life because my entire circle was completely black. Mm -hmm. So what did it mean to be an other? Like, well, mm -hmm. by the time I had to be a part of truly be a part of the minority, I had a very strong idea of who I was. Mm -hmm. And a part of that meant that you will have to do difficult things. You'll have to do hard things. And mm -hmm. also um, that race is a factor and it's a part of your everyday life, even if mm -hmm. it's not like in your face in an uncomfortable way every day. Right. Um, so if that's the conversations that I was having and then someone turns 23, 25, 35, 45, and now you're like, no one ever talked to me about race. No mm -hmm. one talked to me about these other things. This is, I have them at a disadvantage now because mm -hmm. this is, I have, I, it, it is a part of me. I can't walk away from it. So wrestling with this question of, all right, if I feel this way, if I'm uncomfortable, do I, do I need to stick with it? Or is it just better for me to just, you know, go back, do good when I can, but I'm just going to stick it out in my safe space. I don't think that it's illogical to want that. But I think of a lot of things that we experience in life, uh, the same way as I think about forgiveness and even marriage, which means that it's not a one-time thing. It's a daily affirmation of where you're at. So if you have someone who's hurt you deeply and you want to forgive them, it isn't all here. We'll talk to people and let's say, oh, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I forgave. I was like, when? <laughs> like, you know, because what you said was pretty intense. When did you forgive it? Oh, man, we talked about it three, four years ago. So I should be good. I'm like, yeah, you could be over, but it doesn't mean that that doesn't come back. And when it comes back, you have to do the process of forgiving them again. Maybe not with them, maybe in your heart. Maybe you're reminding mm -hmm. yourself that you forgave them. You feel this way and you're moving on. Same thing with marriage. Every morning you wake up, you say, I'm still married to that man. <laughs> Every day. Every day. And dealing with all these things like discomfort becomes that thing because you can have an interaction. It didn't go the way you want it. Boom. You're like, you know, I'm done with it. Mm -hmm. But if you say, ooh, that wasn't good. That wasn't the way I wanted. it. I got to figure it out. I'm going to see them tomorrow. I'm going to try it. Mm -hmm. You have you've recommitted to this process over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it just I think it just depends on uh, what the individual is wanting for themselves and others that allows them to do that. Got you. 
So it's it's interesting in the context of allyship work because it is others focused work. Mm-hmm. However, that commitment has to be to self. And it's something that I preach all the time in the building allyship community. There's a lot of people who will tell you to erase everything that you are in order to do this work. Mm. But it's really knowing who you are and what you're committed to, because if you are not seen as a good person, if you are seen as a racist at some point in this work, it's the commitment that allows you to keep trying. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, And the reaffirmation. The, the renewal of your vow to be this way. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. It is saying, and it goes back to what we said at the beginning, not who I, who am I under all this is who do I want to be? Who do I want to be? Um, so- I was just imagining someone who was, you see these movies that they're out there, American History X and different things and people who are steeped in not just, you know, subtle racism, deep racism and mm-hmm. them wanting to come out of that. That comes from Staying in it comes from the reaffirmation of hate, of saying mm. this is where I need to be. I have new evidence to say that this isn't true. I deny that. Mm-hmm. I reaffirm my commitment to these things. And I think that certain things have such a a, a magnetic and sucking in effect that it makes it where people feel like they're they're powerless to it. But Choosing something like acceptance, openness, love comes with a different type of risk. Um, mm-hmm. it, it comes with exposure and, and all of these other things. So I think it requires a different type of reaffirming of self and reaffirming of why you're doing what you're doing. You actually have a quote that I absolutely love, and I don't know if it was from you or it was wisdom from someone else, but... Um, in one of our workshops, you said good people aren't perfect people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember if that's me or someone else either. So <laughs> if it is someone else, you can take credit. But <laughs> but I agree. I, I also think about like think about things that have been perfect in people's lives, like mm. the house with the white room. Mm-hmm. Is that a good room? Mm-hmm. Because you can't go in it. You can't walk in it. You can't sit on the couch. You can't drink the food in there. You can't do anything in that room. That room is set up to be seen. Mm-hmm. So the question you ask yourself, for the purposes of what we use shared space for, is that a good room? Because mm. it's perfect aesthetically. Mm-hmm. You, you think about other homes where someone might have had a couch and then they wrapped it in plastic. The couch yes. is perfect. Mm-hmm. That was not a good couch for comfort. Not in the least. And then eventually it all gets old and it, it, that perfection will, will, will deteriorate. So yes. a, a good couch, I think, serves a certain purpose. Mm-hmm. It has certain components and it has a certain function that's accessible in a wider way. Mm-hmm. So perfection keeps you from being able to make mistakes to be forgiving, to be open, mm. it has to be exacting. It has to root out everything else that is not like that. Um, mm-hmm. So to, for pr- perfection does prevent good and goodness. Mm. One of the workshops that you have done in Building Allyship is learning how to have tough conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my question is, how how does wanting to be seen as a good person 
impact our ability to have tough conversations? Because I feel like wanting to be seen as a good person prevents you from being a good person at times. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes good people have to do inconvenient things, unpopular things, difficult mm-hmm. things. If you're a parent and you discipline your child, whatever that means for you, you do it out of love or fear or whatever. But a good parent gives their children boundaries mm-hmm. of some sort. Wanting to be seen as a good parent has to do with your child agreeing that you're <laughs> a good parent. And a child that gets disciplined in the moment may not appreciate mm-hmm. that that parent is being a good parent. A child puts their hand on a hot stove. The parent jumps into action, grabs their hand, tells them, no, they can't have ice cream tonight because of what they've done. And they have a conniption because they want to burn themselves and have ice cream. <laughs> if you're a good parent, you're going to still do what you got to do. Now, mm-hmm. you're seen as a good parent. You let your child burn themselves and then you give them their ice cream and then mm-hmm. you, can, you know, you console them. But <laughs> it's important for you to do the, the good thing for the sake of or the reason why you think you should do the good thing. Yeah. Must be seen that way. Right. So what are some tools that you can give people for tr- when they're one initiating tough conversations mm-hmm. to it's being initiated with them. Oh, mm-hmm. those are two different. It, they I mean, are. It's similar things. Both take a different type of courage. Um, I think uh, one, man, this is crazy because it's a thought that I've had and, and, and follow me a little bit. Um, okay. Is it better to lose someone you care about over a long period of time or such? The answers both suck. Yes. Right? So as you've talked to people, one person will say, man, you know what? You had a certain way because, you know, it happened quickly. Mm-hmm. Someone else will say, you had a certain way because you had an opportunity to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And both people are going to be like, well, this, both of them sucked. Mm-hmm. If you kind of can do the same thing with this. Is it better for you to know that you're going to have to walk into the conflict and set the tone and hope that the other person will hear it? Or mm. is it better for you to be the receiver, blindsided, and if you don't get too mad about it, you can respond in a way that's going to be beneficial to everyone? Mm-hmm. And I think that both of those things just require a different type of energy. One, if you say, hey, someone's going to confront you. <laughs> All right, I'm taking a deep breath because I'm I'm really trying to gather on this. Take your time. One thing that that I know, if someone is confronting me, my immediate thought becomes for myself. Um, don't be defensive, George. Don't be defensive, George. Don't be defensive, George. Don't. Be, you know what's wrong with what you just said, George? I told you not to be defensive. <laughs> yep. So. If you can take a spirit of curiosity with someone confronting you, like, you know, George, you know, really sucks. Something I noticed that you do over and over and over again. They're like, okay, I'm curious to hear what they say. I don't necessarily have to agree with what they say, but I am curious to hear it. Mm -hmm. And then you could totally disagree with it. 
Or you can say, you know what, that's, thank you for sharing. I know that wasn't easy. Um, I need to think about what you said. Tom. And can can we come back and, and follow up with this? That's not perfect, but it requires a different type of work than you saying, I need to talk to someone about this thing. I have some concerns some frustrations, whatever you're trying to figure out. So if someone is confronting you, it's kind of preparing yourself in that moment before they even unload. I'm going to listen. I'm not going to say, because the worst thing is that I found is that when someone is confronting me, if I say, you know what? I think you do the exact same thing at this point. Mm -hmm. The whole conversation has broken down. Mm -hmm. There is no opportunity for us to even actually build or, or have any true conversation about this thing because of that. Um, I think this, when you are doing it, you have a little bit of advantage. You can time it. You can look at it. You can kind of figure out, okay, how am I going to say it? Am I going to say it this way? If I'm going to say it that way. As a matter of fact, there's a show called The Rehearsal that I yep. watched with your brother. Um, and one of the first episodes was someone having to share something difficult with someone else. And mm -hmm. part of the work that that person got to do was to prepare themselves to enter into it. It didn't make it any, it didn't make it just easy, but it gave them an opportunity to prepare, which can also help you not feel as anxious. Right. Is it also probably good to check your own intent oh, going absolutely. in? <laughs> absolutely. Well, especially if you're asking. So if you are asking someone something, you're sharing something with them. And you're, you're telling them because you think it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And your right thing to do is based on your upbringing, your belief system, how it's mm -hmm. going to impact those who love you. Something that came up for me is, you know, your your values and beliefs were meant to govern how you walk through life. Mm -hmm. Not how others walk through life. Now, you can decide if you want that person in your life, mm -hmm. regardless of if your values and beliefs align. Yeah. But I feel like this whole imposing my beliefs on you is is the biggest reason that there's disconnection in general, yeah. not just in racial divide, not just in gender divide. It's, no, I'm walking through life this way. And to be comfortable, you're going to walk with me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think free will is is a really important thing. It doesn't mean, free will doesn't mean that we're free of consequences. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that it doesn't come with the cost. It just means that I have the freedom to make certain decisions. And it, I mean, this becomes like a whole nother can of worms, but if what happens when your free will impacts my free will, who gets to determine what gets to happen, all these other mm -hmm. things. Well, yeah. If someone said, you know what my job is, my free will says I get an opportunity to hug anybody I see who I feel needs a hug for me. That's a very quick way to catch a charge because yep. your intent's right, but you are not giving people an opportunity to choose. And when you kind of look back and say, okay, why do you need to be the one who's hugging everyone? Right. And you can unpack that some and you realize, oh, because I need a hug. That's that's really the first who needs to be hugged. <laughs> it's me. The person wanting to give free hugs. Yeah. So this might mean that this is something that you need to figure out um, in your own work that doesn't require you to impose on other people. 
George, mm-hmm. thank you so much oh. for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. Is there anything else you would like to share with the people? Um, well, you, we didn't talk about what I'm watching right now. Um, oh, I did because we. I just got so excited with your "What are you reading?" answer. Yeah, so let me. So yeah, tell us what you're watching. I just finished season four of Stranger Things. <gasps> I'm not gonna say anything else because you know spoilers. But <laughs> man, oh man, that show Oof. messes with me now because I I remember watching it when it first came out, and you're like, look at these little kids, and now. They've gotten older and you're like, oh, this is like a real adult show right now. It always was an adult show, but like this is like some real adult yes. situations and consequences. So I've been kind of recovering from that. Is there a book that you would recommend when people are starting to examine this desire to be a good person, desire to walk in allyship, desire to have tough conversations. Is there something that you get recommended as a resource? Well, we already talk about the person you, you mean to be. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about like, the person you mean to be in building allyship. Yes. Yeah, golly gee. I don't know <laughs> if I say that right. Uh, and then, of course, the four agreements. Okay. Always the four agreements. I start that with everyone because it's a very short book. It's it's one that it takes more digesting and internalizing and processing to come to some determination that says that helps you become more process oriented than mm-hmm. outcomes oriented. Okay. So the four agreements and of course the one we read within building allyship, the person you mean to be. If someone wants to reach out, ask you some questions, maybe book you to come and speak, what is the best way to reach you, George? Oh, so it's through Instagram right now. So the IG page is george.seay. Awesome. Um, and hopefully by the time uh, that this comes out, I'll have the website up. Um, I, will I will make sure that I put all of your information in the show notes for the people. Good, good. good. Thank you so much for coming on. You know you will be coming back. Um, okay, cool, cool. But I am grateful. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for coming and sharing your wisdom. And Dr. J-Pop is out. <laughs>